Welcome to the Funny Because It's True podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at 10 o'clock at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show to tell a true story based on different themes. And this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is Moral Compass, our ever-changing guide to what is right and what is wrong. Seth Whiteberg makes a discovery that affects the lives of two people he's never met. Dhruv Singh recounts how his college friend pulled off an elaborate and repellent con, and I watch helplessly as my worst nightmare happens to the person next to me. But let's not dawdle. First up, Seth Whiteberg. Growing up, I believed that being right was good. And, and since I really wanted to be good, I always wanted to be right. Uh, which led to a lot of verbal altercations with my very best friend since kindergarten, um, Charlie Hopper. And we would argue over things like, what would this imaginary NFL football team that we're playing against in the middle of the street do in this situation? Um, the matters of the utmost importance. Um, and for someone who, who really liked being right and proving it to other people, the internet proved to be a, um, a great boon to my ego. Uh, and I went to college around the turn of this century, um, which means I, it was right around the time I feel like when the internet was really becoming a part of our everyday lives, especially email. But this was still um, a year before Wikipedia. It was five years before YouTube. Uh, when I showed up on the first day of freshman orientation, I was given an actual book with everyone's faces in it. Um, <laughs> cut to spring break freshman year. I'm in San Francisco, California at a friend of a friend's house, and I'm taken into a room to see this great website they're using called Google, uh, which I thought was, uh, I distinctly remember, um, a really terrible name, and there's no way this thing will last. Um, <laughs> At the time, I, my search engine of choice was dogpile.com. Uh, okay, cut two more months in the future. It's May, it's finals, and I'm writing a paper for an education class on the benefits of multiculturalism in curriculum design. And um, dogpile isn't helping, and the library isn't helping, so I decide, okay, I'm going to check out this, this Google. Um, and the first thing that comes up when I search uh, for for what I'm looking for, multiculturalism in curriculum design, um, I find this paper called In Pursuit of Global Civic Virtues by Scott D. Miller, who was the president of a small college in Delaware called Wesley College. And it was a brilliant paper. And um, I, I just suddenly gained so much respect for this guy. I thought he was so great and so good at what he does. Um, that I thought, you know, it'd be great. I should Google the name of this um, paper, which he had been delivering as a speech, um, and maybe it shows up in other people's bibliographies, and that paper uh, will help me. So I did that, and the first thing that comes up is a paper called In Pursuit of Global Civic Virtues. But this one was not by Scott D. Miller. This one was by a woman named Claire Gaudiani, who is the president of Connecticut College. So I compare the two papers, and... Uh, realize that there are whole chunks of text that are identical in the two of them. So about five more minutes of research shows me that um, Scott D. Miller has been giving this speech a lot. And Claire Gaudiani wrote her paper nine years earlier. So now I know something. I knew something. 
something. And I was so excited to show all these people this thing that I had figured out with the internet. It took me two seconds on Google, but I figured it out first. So I write an email to both of them. Uh, which was basically said something to the effect of, hi, my name's Seth Whiteberg. I'm a freshman at Duke University, and I'm writing a paper in my education class on the importance of multiculturalism in curriculum design. And I found both of your papers by the title of In Pursuit of Global Civic Virtues. Did you guys work together? <laughs> Scott Miller does not respond. Claire Gaudiani does to say that she's going to look into it. Um, I later would find out she went to a member of the history faculty at Connecticut College um, who was an expert on plagiarism. Um, <laughs> that professor, by the way, at that time was teaching another student, my best friend from childhood, Charlie Hopper. Total coincidence. Uh, that guy um, figures out, yeah, this is a home run, total plagiarism. And that's when my phone started ringing. Um, the Chronicle of Higher Education, the Hartford Current, whatever newspapers are in Delaware. Uh, <laughs> not CNN and the New York Times, but enough media outlets that, that I am suddenly this 19-year-old who's standing up and saying, look what I figured out. Um, and the more I, I said that, uh, the less exciting it got. Um, this guy absolutely should have been, you know, at least examined for what he did. Um, but I kind of felt like, for lack of a better word, like a tattletale. Uh, like I had tattled on this guy. I was regretting not just calling her and talking about it and staying out of it and just letting them deal with it. So what happened? Well, Scott D. Miller blamed it on a ghostwriter, scrubbed it off the Internet, and... He was all good. A year later, Claire Gaudiani leaves Connecticut College, and it turns out she was kind of a sleaze, too. Uh, she, she tried to, um, to parlay a, um, a role in the New London development community into the governorship, which did not pan out. Six years later, Scott Miller gets accused of plagiarism again and is pushed out of the presidency at Wesley College, but not before they name the football stadium after him. And I, in the interim since then, have done a tremendous amount of Googling. Uh, and I've had a lot of experiences where I have wanted to feel good and instead have felt uncomfortable. And I think... Uh, just now, I'm starting to learn the joy of not knowing things and uh, as opposed to always feeling like I have to show that I do. Next up is Dhruv Singh. And just a warning, this story is extremely funny, but it is also darkly disturbing. So, enjoy. So I'm going to tell, I think, a relatively short story um, but I'd like to use this story as a, a sort of experiment with all of you. Um, I want to use it as a, a barometer for all of your moral compasses. So please indulge me and, and imagine that on the chair in front of you, on either side, there are two buttons, one on either side. And these buttons are, I'm going to ask you to press one of those two buttons at the climax of the story. One button is labeled, awful, incorrigible sinner who deserves to burn in hell. And the other one is labeled Nobel Prize-worthy genius who we should all worship. And I've, I'd like you to press one of those in judgment, not of me, but of the person the story is about. And I would like to posit that 
at the climax of the story, you won't be able to decide which one to press. We'll see. But um, here's a story. This was a, a friend of mine who I grew up with went to the University of Virginia. And he, was, uh, he played a lot of sports. He was a really big guy, like a you know, bodybuilder big. He used to work out every day, muscular. Um, and so because he played a lot of sports, uh, about 30, 29 or 30 days of the month, he would eat a lot of food, but a lot of very healthy, clean food. He'd eat you know, tons of chicken breast, tons of brown rice, just a lot of it. But one day of the month, he would have what he called a cheat day, where he could eat anything he wanted. And because he was huge, he would eat like 10,000, 15,000 calories of just crap and just, just, just scarf it away, more than we'd eat in like three or four days. So it was one of those days. He'd gone to McDonald's, had like two or three Big Macs. He went to Olive Garden, had four you know, bowls of pasta, two steaks. I mean, he was putting it away. He, he was you know, big and bloated by the end of the day. And at the end of the day, he, he decided, it's my cheat day. I'm going to drink a little. So he went with his friends to uh, a sorority invite. It was sort of a, you know, a, a sorority party. And um, he ended up uh, really hitting it off with this very attractive girl. And uh, they, they made out. And they went back to her place in the, in the sorority and ended up hooking up. Uh, some you know, alcohol-fueled collegiate love was made. And <laughs> after that was done, he fell asleep. And remember, he'd eaten close. I mean, he'd eaten just an enormous amount of food. So about a few hours later, he woke up in the middle of the night to find that he'd uh, shit the bed. But not just shit the bed. I mean, he'd like Hiroshima shit the bed, right? There was, there was just a he he. I mean, he Abu Ghraib that bed. He, there was a mountain of just awful. I mean, in his words later to me, he described it as a mountain of elephant shit was on the bed, and the girl was still asleep near him, her back to him. So this is the point where I think any of us would be in a huge moral and physical conundrum. This is what he did. He slowly and gently slid her underwear off and used her underwear to scoop the shit into her ass and then gently replaced it so that it appeared that she was the culprit. He put his clothes back on and he got the hell out of Dodge. And he never heard from her again, leaving me to believe that she was probably humiliated and scarred for life with the thought that she was the creator of that 10,000-calorie <laughs> runny dump. And, 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 that's, and so, you know, this is, this is the thing. He, he is either a horrible, awful sinner, but on the other hand, what the hell would I have done? I mean, that's some Danny Ocean-level heist thinking. So he's kind of a genius, too. Thank you. And finally, me, Kevin McGeehan. I hate snakes. And I've hated them for a long time, as long as I can remember. It first started when I was six years old, and my parents had just bought a new house in Florida. And prior to that house being built, it was all swampland. So when they came in and developed this community, there was a tremendous displaced snake population. And they all ended up in our yard. (laughs) One afternoon, my father was washing the car, and when he was not using the hose, I would grab the hose, and I would play the six-year-old game of spraying water into dirt and turning it into mud. At one point, uh, colors just came out of the mud, and I thought I should go touch these. So I went over, and I touched it and knocked the mud around it, and then suddenly this head popped up, and then it started coming at me. The thing about Florida is that it is full of poisonous snakes, and this was a coral snake that has its own little uh, red, red, you're dead. If you see a red head. You're dead. Uh, And this was one of those snakes that was coming at me. And I screamed, and my father caught wind of what was happening, and he grabbed his nine iron, 
ran over, and as it was coming towards me, just sliced it right in half, and it still continued to move for a while, and it gave me the heebie-jeebies at even saying that sentence gave me the heebie-jeebies. So when I was in college, I joined the University of Florida halfway through the year. So I moved into a dorm where the three existing roommates had been together for about six months at this point. So I moved into a suite in Beatty Towers, and contradictory to the homonym, it was not sweet. It was pretty gross. It was a two-bedroom and a small little living area that on paper sounded fantastic, but in actuality it was a prison cell with walking area. And living in there were three guys, Dave, Reggie, and Eloy Villasuso. <laughs> Dave was a big dude, a fighter, a drinker, and the two favorite things he loved to do were those two things, so much so that he got into a fight in a bar, knocked this tooth out, and he had a cap for it, but around the dorm, he wouldn't wear it. That's Dave. Reggie was the mixture of a Billy D. Williams slit malt liquor commercial in a Color Me Bad video together. He was one of those smooth guys, not TH, but VE, smooth guys. And it was Florida, so he would wear these silk suits, but because it was hot, they were short pants. And the thing that always made me laugh about him was the fact that he would say, whenever he spoke to a woman or greeted a woman, he would say without irony at all, hey, girl, every time. Eloy Villasuso never showered. He was a smart dude and was kind of always uh, working on something else, but hygiene was not one of them. And he would shower once a week on Sundays for 45 minutes. I know this because we timed it. So, the thing about Reggie was not only was he smooth, he also owned snakes. He owned two boa constrictors that he kept in a terrarium in his room. He'd feed them mice, and he just he treated them as if they were members of his family. Uh, and what he would do in his silk short pants suits was take a boa constrictor, put it around his neck, and then walk around campus <laughs> saying, hey, girl. One night, towards the end of the term, Eloy and Reggie got into a huge fight. Reggie was sick of the fact that Eloy would not shower. Eloy was steadfast in his conviction that he can do whatever he pleased. Reggie got more and more angry, and the, discussion, the argument became a lot more heated. So much so that Eloy stomped out of the main living room and walked into the room that he and I shared. Dave and Reggie shared the other one and slammed the door behind him and then went to bed. A couple hours later, I went in there, and he was asleep. I climbed onto the top bunk, and I tried to go to sleep. I didn't. A few minutes later, the door opens very quietly, and the light comes in. I see Dave. Dave looks at me, and he gives me the finger over the mouth, don't say a word. And then Reggie walks in holding one of the snakes. And he walks over to Eloy, and he puts it carefully and gingerly on Eloy's chest as he sleeps. And then they both back up and say, Eloy! Eloy wakes up and then sees a face in his face, and he screams. And they pull the snake off because 
Reggie wanted to make sure the snake didn't get hurt in the process. Gets the snake and then basically gives him a very silent, you shower or this will happen again. The rest of the night, I had the heebie-jeebies and the covers up to my face, so scared that I didn't want to make Reggie mad that this would be how he retaliated against me. But I will say this, I will grudgingly admit that there are benefits to snakes because after that, Eloy showered every day. That's it, that's our show. Special thanks to our storytellers, Seth Whiteberg and Dhruv Singh. Also thanks to Josh Callahan, Mark Warzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Cause It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood, located on historic and slightly off-putting Hollywood Boulevard. You can like Funny Cause It's True on Facebook to find out upcoming show dates and themes. All the past episodes are available for free download on the Comedy Podcast Network and iTunes. And while you're at it, while on iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a comment about the show. More comments help the show grow to a broader audience on iTunes. Plus, it appeases my staunch desire for approval. The next live show is Tuesday, May 8th at 10 o'clock, and the theme will be Bad Decisions. So come out, put your name in contention, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. For more funny stuff for your eyes and ears, go to ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.